0: Welcome to the Better Together Podcast. Here, you'll find inspiring and enlightening podcasts brought to you by our MDS-ARG pods. ARG's associate resource groups strive to explore, highlight, and share the wide breadth of experience of our BD colleagues, their families, and their communities. This is the final episode of a two-part series focusing on Mountaineer and Paralympian Mark Wellman. If you missed the first part, please be sure and go back to listen to part one. In part two with Mark, we learned that recovering from a life-altering climbing accident wasn't enough.
1: And I said, Mike, check out this photo of this lady being lowered down a cliff in a wheelchair. And Mike's eyes got really big and he said, you know what, Mark, this is what I want to do. I want to climb El Capitan with you.
0: And the Triumph didn't stop at scaling one of the world's most impressive rocks.
1: What happened to me 40 years ago was such a negative thing that happened to me, but I was able to turn that into a livelihood and positiveness and to be around people and change
0: people's lives. For more with Mark Wellman, here's Joe Balin.
2: So, you know, I want to kind of pick it up as you are coming out of the hospital. except it's about seven months or so, this whole process you know, what do you do? I'm now not the same person I was leaving on that day seven months ago that I am today. Is there resources? Is there people you can speak to? Like what, what goes on?
1: So fortunately, I got involved with Voke Rehab and there was a lady, Shirley, I forget Shirley's last name now, but Shirley was a state rehabilitation worker. And she got together with me and said, you know, Mark, you have this great love, this great passion for the outdoors. Well, i you become a ranger, park ranger, and I'm thinking, well, how's somebody in a wheelchair going to be a park ranger? I don't, you know, I'm thinking law enforcement, search and rescue, and she says, well, no, there's there's many jobs in the National Park Service, state parks. Rangers wear many hats. That's what she said, and she took me up to Fort Funston in San Francisco, and I met a ranger by the name of Frank Dean. Who now is in charge of, he's retired from Yosemite, but he's now in charge of Yosemite, um, conservancy. They, it's a nonprofit that fundraises for Yosemite. So I've, I've kept in touch with Frank for many, many years. And Frank, uh, introduced me to another ranger, uh, Jim Milestone, who was working in, in the nursery. And I would plant dune grass. They were, they were getting rid of, uh, plants that were invasive species uh, along the coast, and they wanted to reintroduce natural plants. So I got involved in that. And then he had mentioned that, you know, you should go back to school, maybe look into like a park management program. And Shirley suggested the same thing. So there was this program at West Valley College in Saratoga, California. And uh, I went to uh, this park management class and I took things like maintenance, interpretation, uh, all different types of of park management skills. And we do a backpacking trip. We did some climbing, where I didn't actually climb, but I was out there with the the group. And we did an overnight snow trip. And I had this kind of sled device. And the and this was the days before. Um,
2: so you're getting active again, like you're you're out there doing some adventure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. L- little things, you know. And so you end up. I don't want to fast forward too much, but you end up at Yosemite as a park ranger. And and for those who've never been to Yosemite, I mean everyone's heard of you. So Yosemite is one of the most beautiful places in the world. It is. And there are huge, um, you know, just beautiful trees and and mountains and, and granite. I mean, it's
1: it's an amazing place. It's an amazing place. And for an internship, when I was at park management at West Valley College, my instructor, Smitty was his name. He was a summer ranger in Tuolumne Meadows up in high country. And he got me a job at uh, the entrance station with uh, Bob Johnson, who was a district ranger. And I was at the entrance gate to Big Oak Flat, which is the north entrance on Highway 120. And the ranger that was going to hire me goes, I'm not sure, you know, you're going to have to live out at Camp Mather. There's a tent cabin. I'm not sure if somebody in a wheelchair can really be able to do this. And I I go, can I come up and just talk to you and see if if I can check it out and see if it's going to work for me? He goes, absolutely. So I drove up. I met with the ranger you know i got into the little kiosk that's that booth at the entrance gate and there's a step so i I could kind of get my wheelchair over that step because at that at this point i was getting stronger and i got into this little booth but once i got down into this booth the windowsill was like like eye level and they go oh that's not going to really work so a maintenance guy came over and he said you know what we could do when you're working your shift we could place this plywood platform into the booth. And that way, when you're sitting in your wheelchair, you'll be at chest height at the window. So at this point, the ADA Act had not been created. No, we'll no.
2: Ta- we'll talk about that a yeah. little bit too. But they were willing to, to work with it. Right, 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 right.
1: But it wasn't already set up where no. you could see out the window Now you're having to get. And I had to start a fire to heat up the hot water to take a shower. So I went up there and did that for the summer. And it really wasn't my idea of being a ranger, but it was an entry level position. There I was collecting a $3 entrance fee, sucking in auto fumes all day <laughs> long. But it was the next summer, you know, I did that for a summer. The next summer I was finishing school. It was a two year degree. I finished some school and I was uh, down at the Valley Visitor Center with the interpretation, interpreting the natural processes of the park to the public. So there I was in the visitor center, doing programs on wildlife bear management, rock climbing. I did a a little program on rock climbing. And one day I was coming out of my humble abode. I had a little, I was a GS-5 ranger. I had a little 500 square foot little cabin and they took $50 out of my paycheck every two weeks for this cabin. And I was wheeling over to the visitor center to open the visitor center. And I had a magazine on my lap. and The magazine was called Sports and Spokes. And there was a woman being lowered down a cliff in a wheelchair. And I ran into my future climbing partner, Mike Corbett. And I said, Mike, check out this photo of this lady being lowered down a cliff in a wheelchair. And Mike's eyes got really big. And he said, you know what, Mark? This is what I want to do. I want to climb El Capitan with you. And Mike's nickname was Mr. El Cap in 1989 he had climbed el capitan 42 times more than anybody else. well let's
2: let's back up a little bit so people who don't know el capitan it was it was put into the spotlight recently with the movie free solo where alex honnold scaled el capitan with no ropes just climbed up the mountain the largest
1: unbroken granite cliff in north america It's over 3,000 feet.
2: Yeah. So that movie really put El Capitan into the spotlight. But 33 years prior, and we'll get to this, you scaled El Capitan with the use of just your hands. And so let's talk about Mike Corbett, your close friend, mentor to you, who you met. He unfortunately passed away this past year. But you met him in Yosemite, and he looked at you and said, "We can do this."
1: Yeah, I had met Mike several times prior to that. His girlfriend Gwen uh, was a nurse at Yosemite uh, Medical Clinic, and I knew Gwen better than I knew Mike at the time. We would lift weights at the gym, and uh, she introduced me to Mike, her boyfriend. And Mike never brought up climbing to me because why would he bring up something and he thought? I couldn't do. But when he saw that picture of a woman being lowered down a cliff in a wheelchair on a rappel, and like I said, Mike's eyes got really big. He got excited. And the next evening, I think, we were at the Mountain Room Bar. We might have had a beer or two. And we had a little bar napkin and a pen. And we started writing down notes. And we were kind of saying, well, Mike was a big wall climber. At that point, I wasn't a big wall climber. I was a mountaineer. I did some, some free climbing, but mainly mountaineering. And I was pretty young at the time when I got hurt. And Mike was uh, about eight years older than me. And Mike had climbed El Capitan back in those days. Like I said, his nickname was Mr. El Cap, 42 times. I don't want to say that Mike was getting bored with climbing El Cap, but he wanted to find a different way of challenging himself. And taking a paraplegic up El Cap was going to be a big challenge for him. So we knew we were going to use something called a Jumar. Jumar is to rope ascending devices, kind of what Kleenex is to tissue. So we mounted a pull-up bar on a Jumar, and then we made these rock chaps because I knew I was going to be doing pull-ups up a rope. Mike was going to be doing the lead climbing, so I would belay him as he would have this tremendous rack of Climbing equipment. It weighed about 40 to 50 pounds with pitons, camming devices, all the different pieces of gear that you place into cracks as you go up the side of El Capitan. In those days, we used a lot of pitons. Nowadays, most climbers aren't using pitons, but in those days, that's what we, we did. And we had porta ledges. A porta ledge is like a hammock that has a rigid frame. And we carried 250 pounds of gear, a hundred pounds of water, all the equipment to go up El Capitan. And him and I developed this system where we first started jugging or going up a rope using that pull-up bar in an oak tree in Yosemite Valley. We could do that. Then we moved over to rock. And when we moved over to rock, we needed to protect my legs because when the rock is low angle, you're dragging your lower extremities against the rock. And when you're dragging I don't have feeling in my legs so we needed to protect my legs from the granitic surface the granite surface of the rock so I wouldn't end up with sores on my legs so we came up with this idea of rock chaps so Mike drove my van down to Fresno Mike at the time didn't have a vehicle he took my van down to Fresno bought some leather canvas and used a speedy stitcher a lot of climbers know how to sew and Mike started sewing up these rock chaps and we incorporated the climbing harness into the rock chaps then we started climbing on natural rock and six months we kind of had this little training we were doing jam crack we're doing warner's pitch these little climbs one pitch climbs like 100 feet 150 feet in yosemite valley and then finally we decided after six months that we're going to climb El capitan so
2: this is In terms of time frame, just so people are aware, this is seven years after your injury, after your fall, roughly. So you guys devise a plan of attack for El Capitan, how you're going to get up to the top. And again, those out there listening have never seen El Capitan, Google it. It is overwhelming. It's the you know that and Half Dome are the two things you see in, in Yosemite. So. Wednesday, July 19th, 1989, you guys are going to journey up El Capitan. Right. So who's there?
1: Who's there to send you off? Well, prior, prior to climbing El Cap, I'd say about a month before we get blast off, Mike contacted Tom Brokaw. He wrote a letter to Tom Brokaw. Tom Brokaw was the, the uh, anchor for NBC National News out of New York and Tom had done some climbing and Mike basically scratched out a letter in pencil and mailed it to New York and about 5 or 6 days after he sent the letter he got a phone call to the medical clinic Mike was a janitor at the medical clinic to support his addiction of climbing and his girlfriend was an RN there at the at the, at the hospital and the medical clinic's not a hospital a medical clinic and uh Tom Brokaw was talking to Mike Corbett on the telephone and Mike said, Hey, I've been working on this project. I'm, I'm going to climb El Capitan with a, with a paraplegic. And Tom said, I'm going to send a crew out there. We're going to cover this. And all of a sudden, when Mike told me that, I remember the night before we were going to blast off, take off for the climb. I couldn't sleep. My hands were sweating. I was just like really nervous that we had told the media about it. And I was like, it was like adding a whole nother pressure. More or less
2: nervous than you are with this podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I was a lot more nervous. <laughs> in this podcast. And then so, basically, as soon as we got, and, and, and basically, you can take your wheelchair pretty close to the, the base of L cap. The last, oh, maybe 100 yards or so, uh, Mike piggybacked me. So I got on his back. And there was a big crowd of people. I mean, once the media found out about this, there was a ton of news reporters from the Sacramento Bee, Sacram, you know, uh, the Chronicle, AP Press, all sorts of media. And this had never been attempted
2: before. No. Right? And, and certainly never completed successfully.
0: So never is, attempted
1: with a paraplegic. Yeah, act. so
2: this is the first ever paraplegic ascent
1: of El Capitan. or Capitan. Or and we weren't saying we were going to be able to, you never, you have respect for the rock. You, you know, you, you got to be humble when you yeah. come to the base of El Capitan. You, cocky gets you into trouble. Right. And we were humble. I mean, we, we, we knew we could probably do it, but we, were, you know, we weren't positive.
2: I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's not a safe by any means no. hike. And there's a lot of people that have lost their lives trying to get to the top of El Capitan,
1: absolutely,
2: and, and having the news there probably adds an additional pressure, as you said, oh, big time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but. So, but but you know, so we started, in, and as soon as we got to the base of the rock, the nervousness really went away. As soon as I touched the granite, and we, I started doing pull ups up the rock. It was all of a sudden. It became you know all the the six months of preparation, all the different practice climbs that we did, all came into The nervousness went away and we did something called we had fixed ropes so we were fixed about a fourth of the way up el cap we had mike had gone up there prior to to taking off had climbed seven pitches eight pitches and we had ropes going from where he had left off down to the down to the bottom and he had hauled all the equipment up to that mammoth terrace is what it's called so Mike always says, Man, when we take off and you go up a fourth of the way, it's like you're really up there. And it, it's a good feeling to be off the ground. And then we were doing a route called the Shield Route, put up by Charlie Porter. And it was a beautiful route. Uh, we went through areas called gray ledges. There's these two or three ledges. And then once you go over this huge roof onto the groove pitch, you're committed. Once you go over a roof is is when you're climbing upside down. or Mike was climbing upside down to get over a roof yeah. and then on the pitch up there. So then when I took off, I swung out about 50 feet underneath this roof and then jugged up over this roof. And once you go over that roof, there's no coming down. There's no getting down. There's right. no getting down. You're committed. You're committed. Yeah. You have to go to the
2: summit. Yeah. How long does it, it take to get from the moment you touch the granite and you get that feel and you're hooked and you start climbing to get to the top of el capitan seven nights eight days of climbing so that's that's important to know it's not like it's a a couple hours and you're at the top this is no this is seven nights on a really a straight up and down sheer face so you're sleeping well
1: I mean, describe that. I mean,
2: I've yeah. seen pictures. It is
1: scary. We're using, we're using something called portal ledges. Like I, I said earlier, it's like a hammock that has a rigid frame, and it has nylon stretched between the rigid frame. You put it together like you would a, a backpacking tent, and then you have webbing that goes from the four corners up into a pyramid shape, and you anchor that into the, into the cliff. And you still are wearing your climbing harness at night. You're still tied into the rock. For those of us, for those of us that like to roll around at night, you got to be a little careful up there. And, <laughs> uh, you eat, you sleep, you know, everything's everything is, is well hanging off a rock. Exactly. And the kind of cool thing about being a wheelchair user is Mike doesn't have that much mobility. We're all we're, gravity is your enemy. So you're hanging from ropes, you're you're up there, you're not it's not like you can run around. So was there was there ever any fear <clears throat> or
2: flashbacks to the Seven Gables incident while you were doing this or thoughts
1: of that? In the beginning when we first started doing practice climbs, but we had we had really done our homework. We you know, we we Mike Mike is so focused, man. That guy was so focused into this project. And actually there was kind of a whole another dimension before we even took off on the climb. I went I remember I, I took it was uh <clears throat> Easter, I think I went home and saw my parents and I told my mom and dad, I'm gonna climb El Capitan. And my mom just started crying. She was bummed out. And it Right. it was she it, lived through yeah. what
2: you went through.
1: And, and it, it brought my psyche down. Yeah. It totally brought my psyche down. And I actually came back to Yosemite and told Mike, I go, dude, I can't do this. I can't do this. I, I'm not, I'm, it's, I just had my psyche broke from my, my parents. Yeah. And he was, he was devastated. And a week went by and then he came over and we started talking and we went and did a couple more practice climbs. And I said, no, let's do this. I'm not going to say much to him. We're just gonna <laughs> do it. We're
2: just gonna find out about it on yeah, Sunday night news. Exactly for Tom
1: Brokaw. And right? they and they that's how they found out. And the and the, and the, and the really cool thing is when we topped out, my parents had sent Mike a telegram congratulating us, and everything was cool. But yeah, you know it was. So I, I
2: don't want to, you know, <laughs> go too fast through this, but um, you know, you 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 complete El Capitan. Well, one, I think I know my first question was, how do you get down? Um, So that's the first thing I want to know is how how do you get down? You get to the top. It's seven seven days or eight days, seven nights. You're up there. You get to the top. I know we talked about at Seven Gables, you stayed like 20 minutes at the top. How long do you bask in that glory of accomplishing something no one has ever
1: done? Before. We stayed up there hours. There was actually a huge media presence. Um, this was before digital technology, but they had brought up a, a huge satellite dish on a mule and all kinds of media. There was over 50 media people up at the summit and we were live to New York. Wow. On the NBC nightly news at the top. We talked out. We talked out probably about 11 and then we were live with New York Tom Brokaw. We were on the Today show at the Wawanee Hotel the next morning and then uh we we came down, I came down on a mule. So I had a mule, the park service had brought There was rangers up there to manage the media and cuz it was a it was a circus. I mean, there was a lot of people up there. Yeah. And you could hear the the click click clicks of the cameras, like I said this is before digital technology and it was it was crazy. And we did we did interviews. A lot of famous pictures came out of there. We were on the front front page of every major newspaper around the whole country,
2: and it also led to you meeting
1: the president, President the Bush. At, after we came down, I was in my humble abode, my little, my little five hundred square foot little uh, cabin across from the I call it the Puzzle Palace. That's where uh, the National Park Service headquarters is. Superintendent was there, and I heard word from the superintendent that they wanted Mike and I to head out to Washington, D.C. with him, and we were gonna meet up with Rittenauer, who was Secretary of Interior. So the three of us went into uh, the Oval Office and spent a half hour with President Bush talking about our National Park Service. He wanted to talk about bone fishing. In yeah. In Florida. And we presented him with a, a flag that we actually carried with us because we heard we knew that if we made it to the summit, there was a possibility we might go see the president. So now you don't make this claim, but
2: uh, the ADA Act passed shortly after your visit with the president.
1: The same incident.
2: Was there conversation around Did Was there any inclination that something like this was in the works that you would have a window you could see out of when you...
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's the right. Yosemite. Um, It was, yeah. I mean, I remember coming out of the White House and I had to, when we went out, when we left the Oval Office, we went down a hallway and both Mike and I were nervous. I remember Mike, we were sitting in, in the uh, presidential suite at the uh, uh, Hilton Hotel and I left my wallet back at the hotel and we get to the gate to come into the oh because they wanted to see everybody's ID and I just realized oh I left my wallet and they still let us in. (laughs) So not anymore. Didn't didn't have my ID but they let it was like I said it was myself, Mike Corbett, Jack Moorhead, superintendent of Yosemite, and Rittenauer, Secretary of the Interior. And the four of us sat in the Oval Office for a half hour. And as prior to going into the Oval Office, there was Oil paintings in this hallway with like George Washington crossing the Delaware, you know, and and oil paintings, you know, just all this crazy momentum, you know, beautiful paintings and artwork. And we got in the Oval Office, but President Bush made us, I mean, he was just made us feel like we're really welcome and very comfortable, very comfortable. And, And after we left him, we went out to talk to the media outside. And I remember I had to jump off a curb. There was a curb that I did a wheelie off of because it wasn't accessible. Right,
2: <laughs> outside
1: Yeah, outside the White House. Right. So, uh, but that year he did sign ADA into, but it never came up in our conversations. Yeah. But that year was in '89. He, or 1990, I think, is when he actually yeah. signed it. So, um,
2: I mean, it's it's an amazing story, and from where you were lying for 24 hours thinking you're going to die not knowing what to expect in shock in despair to going to the hospital being told you will never walk again you'll be in a wheelchair and having thoughts of suicide and 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 ending it all to finding really the the will the attitude like you know i i met you a few years ago and always been very positive you know one of the things i always asked you when i saw your wheelchairs i noticed you don't have any brakes on your wheelchair (laughs) (laughs) and you told me
1: i i like living life (laughs) dangerously." yes
2: Uh, and that's and that's why you know you look at your life and what you've done and and so there's a whole lot more to tell but i want to talk about what you have done you know since not since the climb that's a long period of time to fill in but you you volunteer your time. You help children, um, you know, learn how to repel who are, you know, in wheelchairs. Talk a little bit about that work and some of the things you've done just to share with everybody that you took what inspired you and, and you were looking to inspire other people and letting them help them get through the difficulties and challenges they've had.
1: Well, I mean, as they get older, you know, Climbing El Capitan is a young man's sport, for sure. You know, I was 29 when I did that. And now I'm 62. And I'm really, my wife and I, Carol, we run a business called No Limits. And we have an artificial climbing wall that's mobile. And uh, we take that around to different disabled events, veterans events, people with disabilities. You know, my passion is outdoor adventure sports. And uh, we teach them how to do adaptive climbing. We teach able-bodied people how to to uh, facilitate adaptive climbing. I'm involved in skiing. I teach a little bit of uh, Nordic skiing at our cross-country center here. Uh, I do work with uh, organizations called Challenge Athletes Foundation. We're doing a, a clinic here on the 28th of uh, January, where I'm going to have 15 disabled people come to the Nordic Center and I'll have a staff of people that we run and we'll teach uh, adaptive Nordic sit skiing. I do a lot of Alpine skiing. I do some kayaking too. So really, you know, nowadays it's, it's more, I'm mentoring disabled people that, hey, there is life after smile cord injury. There is life after amputation. There is life after head injury. And I love working with our veterans. Um, those are they're great people. They're motivated. They love doing things in the outdoors. Uh, I do a camp in Yosemite. We've done many camps over the years with the City of Sacramento, where we'll have fifteen wheelchair users. Uh, we we always say wheelchair users. You never say like confined to a wheelchair or like we say power chair, not electric chair. Electric chair is something you die in. Right. A power chair takes you from point A to point B. Right. So I mentor these people and and just show them my passions of of living in the mountains and love what I do. And uh, it's just been a, a, you know, this whole El Cap thing allowed me to leave the park service, start this business. I, I was a ranger in Yosemite for eight years through the notoriety of climbing El Capitan. I decided that I wanted to have my own business, do motivational speaking, do corporate motivational talks, do some team building, work with disabled athletes. Uh, I started a nonprofit with a guy named Eric Weinmeier. He's a blind guy that, gentleman that climbed uh, Mount Everest blind, uh, the Seven Summits. I worked with another guy named Hugh Herr. Hugh was pinned down on Mount Washington when he was very young. The same year I got hurt, except when I was 22, he was 18. He got pinned down on Mount Washington. It's the tallest mountain on the East Coast in the ice storm. He got pinned down for several days, um, lost his legs due to frostbite gangrene. But Hugh actually became a scientist, went to MIT, became a scientist at MIT, and now does designs, prosthetics, got a a a grant from the department of defense for millions of dollars. And he has the attitude. If you lose a limb, we'll make, a, we'll make your limb better than what you lost.
2: Well, and that's the thing, you know, as, as we talk, and I talk to you is, you know, your story is so inspiring, but you also are so connected with so many inspiring stories. So how can you not have a smile when you, you know, are around the neighborhood or seeing you with the dog and, you know, just always very positive. You, you, have told me, you just have a very u- unique positive outlook on life. And I think for, you know, not just those who are disabled, but anyone who has things that they have to overcome, like you overcame quite a bit and I guess to end it, you know, is there a message like you'd like to leave people with in terms of, you know, how you mentally get are able to overcome these challenges that you face because you went from the
1: worst of the worst to really creating the life you want. Well, I think you have to have you have to be passionate about something. You know, I'm passionate about the outdoors and adventure sports, and that's really brought me to where I am today. And you need to find something that really motivates you and. You know, it could be whatever that is. It could be sports kind of things or religion or whatever that is that kind of motivates you. Um, You know, I've been really kind of blessed to be around. I've surrounded myself with really great people. And, you know, Carol, my wife, she's been great over the years of running our business together. And and I've just been, uh, you know, I'm challenged, too. I've had some dyslexic problems. and I have a, another hidden dis- disability of, of being dyslexic where I, electronics and things are not my thing, <laughs> to say the least. And, uh, you know, Carol right. really runs the business. You know, she's behind the scenes. I'm kind of the front man. Right. But there's a lot of, you know, traveling and putting teams together. We we'll go out. We work with uh, catheter companies and do set up climbing walls at trade shows for disabled people and we'll get two or 300 disabled people on a wall in a day, right? Severely disabled, you know, people with cerebral palsy, people that were born disabled their whole lives. And, you know, we'll have a a kid with cerebral palsy up there and things that they, maybe their parents couldn't think was possible. You're able to show them we can do it. Exactly. We'll have a kid with cerebral palsy up there with, drooling with a big smile on their face and their parents are crying yeah because they, they they're blown away how their kid is participating getting getting up on a 25-foot wall and that 25-foot wall is like their el capitan right right it's that challenge for them and that's been uh really right. encouraging and, and it's really you know turned what happened to me 40 years ago it's hard to believe it's been 40 years ago but that 40 years was such a negative thing that happened to me, but I was able to turn that into a livelihood and positiveness and to be around people and uh, change people's lives. It's an amazing
2: story. I think you just said it best that that wall is there, El Capitan, and it just kind of hit me in terms of You know, everybody can search for what their el capitan is. It doesn't have to be literally el capitan, but what is it? What is your goal? What is your desire? What do you want to overcome? And you set those to help build you towards this success. So, and it's actually pronounced el capitan, el capitan. Thank you. Have we been saying El Capitan? Yeah, yeah, but that's okay. Well, we'll, we'll go back and imagine all that. No, don't worry. They say it the Boston (laughs) way. That's how we say it in Boston. It's El Capitan. Right. (laughs) Well, Mark, thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast. Um, It's been a pleasure and, uh, you know, thank you for, for telling your story. My pleasure, brother. All right. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to this special podcast presented by the Limitless ARG. For more on the Limitless ARG, please contact Joe Balin directly. This podcast is a production of BD. BD and the BD logo are trademarks of Becton Dickinson & Company or its affiliates. Copyright 2023 BD. All rights reserved.